recording live. All right, everything's going the way it should be. Welcome back, everyone, to Ask Brojo Anything with myself, Dan Munro, and Mike. Got a couple of questions for you today, so we answer the questions for our Brojo Gold members as a priority, and then we'll try to get to the other questions after that. So let's dive straight into it. Try to be as concise as possible. Um, we have first a question here. So it's a bit of a long one. I'll read the whole thing because I think it's important. And uh, then I'll hand it over to Mike for a first crack at it. So our member says, uh, hold on, Mike, could you just mute while I'm going? Just give a bit of background noise here. Yeah, sorry, I'm in a live cafe here today. So good. There we go. Cool. I'll unmute you when I'm done. Uh, so he says, I always get tired around midnight or so and usually wrap up whatever I'm doing and go to bed pretty regularly between 11.30 p.m. and 1.00 a.m. each day. The person writing this, the person making plans for the next day, etc., is not the person making decisions in the morning. Every single day I get up five to ten minutes before I have to be out the door. The weekends when I have nowhere to go, I sleep until I'm too guilty to sleep any longer. I wake up to alarms. I walk across rooms to turn them off. I reset them and go back to sleep. Even when I do really good and get up and go to the gym at 6 a.m., I'll get back and sleep until 10 minutes before I have to leave for work. Maybe I lack purpose. Maybe I'm depressed. Maybe a combo. Maybe something else. What to do? Okay, so generally speaking, we've got somebody who's trying their best to get out into the world and do what they're supposed to do, uh, but they keep finding themselves being dragged back under the covers by some force of will. Very common one, I think. Mike, do you want to first uh, crack at this? Yeah, can you hear me now? Yep. Fantastic. Yeah, oh, this is such a common one, and I can relate to this quite deeply on a personal level too. It's something I struggled with for quite a few years. I think it's a mixture of different important topics here. One is understanding that, yes, you could probably qualify this as a kind of depression, but that depression isn't pre-existing, depression isn't causing you to stay in bed. It's more that the staying in bed is creating the depression. There's a very weird thing, it took me a long time to discover was that if I didn't have any sense of discipline or any sense of routine or any sense of structure to my day, my brain would take the easiest path possible. And it would, it would always find a convincing excuse why staying under the covers a little bit longer was the best choice for that moment when I've got low energy and nothing critical happening. But that was very, self-perpetuating and that created a lifestyle of not getting much done at all it wasn't until I decided to start developing a morning routine something you've spent a lot of time on Dan um, and creating something that really really helped me take small steps forward towards what I wanted in life that I really started to see change and I, I was very surprised to see how much change I saw emotionally in my day. Waking up in the morning is now a very different experience uh, psychologically. Inside my head, it's like, yeah, I got a big tough thing first thing today. 
you know, I'm going to go smash the gym for an hour and a half. I'm going to do some writing before 11 o'clock. I'm going to have a day's worth of work done. That's daunting. And somehow it's invigorating at the same time. It has a really impressive uh, implications for how my brain works. What have you found with your morning routine? What do you do now for your morning routine, man? Um, yeah, so for mine, um, it's pretty basic. It's a cold shower to begin uh, with all the standard brushing teeth and all that kind of stuff. And breakfast and a little chat to warm me up socially. Uh, then I do a kind of body warm-up thing, nothing too strenuous, just kind of loosen up my limbs. And then I do five minutes of meditation. And then essentially I have a priority list at the start of the day of things that need to be done first to prepare me for the day. And I guess that's kind of part of the morning routine. By, but by that stage, I'm kind of working now. Um, and that works really well for me. And it, it, there's always a reluctance to do it as I get up. There's always that feeling like wanting to stay under the covers a little bit longer. I've learned to understand that that feeling's just a feeling. It's not a command. It's not an instruction I have to follow. It's not some force of nature that's beyond my strength. It's just more like a, it's like someone tugging on your shirt as you're trying to walk away. If you keep walking, you'll find that they let go. But if you go, oh, I'm stuck and you go back. Um, and I think that's what's happening is the guy who wrote this in is feeling that tug and responding to it like a command, thinking I'm powerless over this. And it's because he thinks that, that it has power over him. If he can accept that he will always feel every morning, he'll feel that little tug. Some t days when he's depressed, he'll feel it like a pull around the neck. And other days it feels just like a little suggestion. Either way, if he never forgets that he's always stronger than that, that he can always walk his feet out the door as he's proven to himself a million times over. Um, look, wanting to stay under the covers is a classic depression symptom. Um, and even people who are full of purpose and have a mission in life still want to stay under the covers. In fact, sometimes the mission is so overwhelming um, that they feel the need to. I, I feel compelled to get out of bed because of my mission, definitely. Like, there's work that's got to be done. If you have a job that sucks, it's very hard to justify the need to go do it. If you have a job where people rely on you and it's important and you're doing your part in the world, it's, it becomes too guilty to stay in bed. Um, and that helps. But I think the main point that, that Mike made that I absolutely agree with is depression is self-perpetuating. The symptoms cause further depression. The further depression causes further symptoms. You can't do much about the depression, but you can do a lot about the symptoms. Uh, it's a weird one, but you act as if you're doing well and you actually counteract a lot of the effects of depression. If you act as if you're depressed, you become depressed. You can you can make yourself depressed by just being lethargic and un, uninvolved and staying in bed a lot. You'll become depressed. Um, and that's I think that's the tragedy of depression as not just as a feeling, but as a, as a psychological illness is that it's convinces you that you can't you can't do the things that you should be doing and it's a lie it's a little bit of a manipulation by your brain to try and you know stop you from doing stuff but when you then follow that lie as an instruction you create the truth you know you create a look i can't do anything i'm powerless which further enables the depression 
Yeah, I fully agree with that. There's, there's a, a very important thing I, I think to understand about how our brains work, which is that all the time we're making decisions about what we want to do and how to approach certain things. And that, that decision, that discussion is a negotiation between two different parts of your brain. You got your rational part, you got your emotional part and they're vying it out all the time. When you go to bed, your rational parts wide awake. It's got great plans for the future. It knows who you want to be. It's got this vision for where you're going to go. And it makes this awesome marker board full of things you're going to do tomorrow. But when you wake up in the morning, that rational part's asleep. And the emotional part just can't be fucked with doing anything that's going to require any significant amount of work. So if that's the only part you're listening to, you're never going to want to get out of bed. What you really have to do is just get up and start doing those things that your rational mind already planned out last night. Have that marker board right in front of you. Just get up and start doing item one. Now, this was really hard for me to do. It was a new way of thinking. It was like, I don't want to do it, but part of me knows that I want to do it. I know I'm going to regret it if I don't do it. I'll regret it later, but, but I will regret it. So one of the things that really helped me was that uh, was structuring my morning routine. Now, Dan and I, you and I have talked about this a lot, especially with the Superman guys who are really, they're doing full life transformation things that require discipline and structure and motivation and all these elements. One of the things that really helped for me was to structure my morning routine so that the very first thing wasn't that hard. For me, it was get up, put on my shoes, go get a coffee at this one cafe. I can do that. That sounds actually kind of nice. But once I'm there, I'm putting together my workout plan and then I go into the gym next door and smash it for an hour and a half and then I do some writing and then I make my way back home around 11 a.m. and my morning routine becomes manageable because I structure it very very carefully to never never push me over the edge in terms of what I can handle if I was only going to the gym I'd find that really hard to motivate myself to that level of abuse first thing straight away in the morning but starting with the coffee starting with some emails chat with some friends you know work my way through that structure can help a lot at the end of the negotiation between your rational mind and your emotional mind if you overload your emotional mind it's gonna fight back hard so simply be, be smart about it you can plan that out in a way that'll work really well for you Yeah, I, I think um, that basically says it all. It's kind of a, it's a mechanical override that's needed. You got to understand, like, no, put it this way, no matter how depressed you are, oh, almost no matter how depressed you are, if someone came into your house and started wrecking things, you'd get out of bed to see what's going on. So you always can. The idea that you can't is a trick. Um, you made a good point because uh, one of the things he says is he'll go all the way and go to the gym, come back and then go back into bed. I thought that's, yeah, that's quite extreme. What it tells me is that whatever part of his mind that needs to be woken up that doesn't want to stay in bed is still asleep despite going to the gym. So it may be that he's missing a core element from his morning routine along the lines of either socializing, so waking up the social part of his brain, or something mental and cognitive, waking up the academic part of his brain. There's these great apps I've heard of. They're alarms, but you have to solve like uh, problems to turn them off, mathematical problems or, or riddles. Um, 
and it's a great way. It's very hard to go back to bed when your mind is properly awake uh, mentally. It's very easy to go back to bed when you're actually physically exhausted, but you know, your mind's still in fairyland. Um, but the key here is it's this thing like, I don't think there's any super magic pill technical trick here is you basically just have to understand that nobody really desperately wants to get up in the morning and you might just have a stronger case of that and you just kind of have to force yourself to and sort of like like mike uh, i guess both of us have said your morning routine has to have a range of things that each one by itself is not a big ask it's just it's like you're holding your hand and gently leading yourself into the start of the day like just go to the thing like i Mine's really broken down like first, I'll just go to the toilet, then I'll brush the teeth to get the yuck taste out of my mouth, then I'll step into the cold shower, then I'll turn on the shower, but it's still not touching me yet, then I'll just put one leg in, then the other leg. It's this real step-by-step, and when I'm doing it, it really feels like that. I have to hold my hand through each step, and there's just reluctance the whole way. But after that cold shower, I'm kind of like, okay, bed doesn't seem so appealing anymore, and now I'm hungry you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll go start with breakfast and then Lucy and I will talk about some stuff and I'm just starting to wake up and I've got this little app on my phone um, that does, it's called Elevate and it's just full of like maths problems and like writing problems, reading, diction. I'll just play a little game, few games on that and suddenly my brain's awake academically. So by the time I get started, like bed just seems like a really unappealing place, like I'm too awake. And that's all I got really for this one. Um, that being said, if you find that this is really chronic and long term, you may in fact have depression. You may in fact um, be to the level where uh, some form of medication is required. And I can see I think you're going to bed far too late. 1 a.m. is too late for someone who has sleeping problems. Yeah, just a final note on that from my perspective. You know, I've been in this exact same situation. At the time, I definitely would have described it as depression, possibly needing medication. But looking back at that period of my life and, and uh, recognizing it for what it was, it was just a natural resistance that my brain had to being challenged and being in that situation. And one of the things that I found really intriguing was, was the realization that at the beginning, it's never going to be easy to push yourself to grow. Your brain's going to resist that. It wants to be lazy. Your reptile brain's designed to conserve as much energy as possible. It's a survival mechanism. So it's going to fight you. But once you start doing it a little bit, once you start taking those cold showers, doing that little bit of work, and you start seeing the benefit, your emotional brain starts to see it differently. Now my brain, when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, Jim, that sounds pretty good. I like where it's gotten me so far. I like where it's going to take me next. I want to see that. And I no longer feel that huge, like, oh, my God, this is so undesirable and difficult. So give it a bit of time. Your job is to make it something that you are able to achieve for now. You don't have to enjoy it. Let the enjoyment grow naturally. It will happen. So you say something else there? I muted you. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Do you want me to read the next question out? Uh, yeah, yeah, let's jump into the next one. That, one. that was a great question. I appreciate that one. It's something I'm constantly learning about as well. So this second question was about honesty. Now, this is from one of our members who has been working a lot on 
developing a sense of honesty and how to apply to his life and social situations. The question he asked was, in general, what is your interpretation of honesty? It was sort of an open question, I think, done on the Facebook group at one point. And uh, I'm just going to read exactly what he wrote, which was, uh, what's your interpretation of honesty? Maybe it's being afraid of asking exactly what someone means or demanding an honest communication. In other words, setting a frame of honesty for the people around you. Uh, he has stepped into a happier version of himself from a few months ago since he started coaching with Dan and being honest, open and true in setting boundaries and learning that honesty and boundary setting makes him feel fantastic and his brain is not that exhausted anymore. I think that's a great share. It's a great share. I think we got a lot to say about honesty. Dan, you and I, ever since the beginning of Brojo, we've had some pretty deep discussions about the importance of honesty in communication and in our social relationships and to ourselves. In that general question, what's your interpretation of honesty? How do you sum that up now? Um, okay, so I try to keep it as concise as possible, which is honesty is when what comes out of you, verbal and body language, accurately represents what's going on inside you. Uh, essentially, it's your best attempt to portray the truth as you know it. I think an even easier way to describe it is you know when you're being dishonest. Now, one of, the, one of the issues, I think, with the interpretation of honesty is a lot of people have a pretty workable definition of honesty, but it's the definition of dishonesty that's the problem because they, they have a lot of stuff in the honesty category that is actually dishonesty. One of the key things is hiding stuff. So they'll say lying is dishonesty if I deliberately portray something as true when I know it's not. They're like, yeah, I don't, I don't ever do that, which is actually their first lie because they probably do at least sometimes. But the dishonesty where you have a strong feeling, but you don't let it be shown. You have an opinion, you keep it to yourself. You have a disagreement or a conflicting uh, idea and you give the impression that you don't. That's also lying. That's also dishonesty. It's dishonesty with body language. It's the sin of omission. Now, honesty doesn't mean saying every single thing that comes into your mind um, because there's simply not enough space in the world for that. You think faster than you can speak anyway. For somebody to pour every thought out into the world is not so much honesty as it is just unrelenting disrespect of other people's space. So honesty is a bit of an, um, an art form when to do it and what to do it with and when to hold back and let others have a turn. There's no hard and fast rules that people can follow about this. The one thing I say is there's a thing I call the obvious truth, which is at any given time, there's something in your mind that's arisen. And not only is it true, but it's important. And it's more important than the other stuff swirling around in your mind. And whether or not you express that particular thing when it's your turn to speak next, that determines honesty. And it's quite often that thing that people work around to talk about something else, which is a subtle form of dishonesty. You've got this big thing in your mind, but you don't like how like sort of inappropriate or uh, controversial it is. So you find something else to talk about, something else that is true, 
but it's not the thing that's at the front of your mind. And that's the, I think that's the part of honesty that people don't quite nail. It's the most difficult part. So yeah, that's, that's my interpretation of honesty in general. Yeah, I, I fully, fully agree with that. The expression outside of what's actually going on inside your head is, is the fundamental definition we're talking about here. I, I love some of the discussions that we've had with the bros, particularly in our seminars, in our live seminars about dating and relationships. They come up with some great questions like, you know, should I actually tell this girl whether or not I think she's fat or whatever it happens to be? And it, it raises some very interesting questions. I think that one of the things that I notice about how I perceive and approach honesty is that I do categorize it a bit. I think of it as uh, honesty of my intentions, what I want in situation, what I expect from someone, my frame, my perceptions about a relationship with someone. Anything that affects this person in front of me, I should be 100% open about. If it affects them, they deserve to know, even if they don't like it, okay? Um, whereas honesty of my personal affairs or honesty of my past, you know, there are certain things that aren't really relevant to this person. There isn't a reason for me to share that. It's not going to affect them. So I put that as a lower priority. It's important for me to ask the question, do I feel shame about this? Because then it's affecting me. If I'm hiding it to protect myself because I feel that this is some negative thing, that's a problem I'm going to have to deal with. But when it comes to honesty in my social interactions, I focus on the things that are relevant to this person. I'm not looking to give them every single bit of judgmental thought that came into my head just because it flitted through. There's no value to that. But um, if I'm hiding anything that impacts them, that's doing a disservice to both of us. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the kind of a good description of that art form is, you know, there's a lot of factors you weigh up as to what comes out and what stays in and the impact it has on you and others is a, is a key factor deciding that the more impact it's likely to have, the more it should come out. Um, and, and including the impact of not, it not coming out. If it's going to have a big impact that it doesn't come out, then it should come out. Whereas other things like I remember we were hosting a workshop about this once and somebody said like, well, what if some random person comes up and asks for my pin code? Well, that's an interesting example. Um, is it lying to say that, you know, to not give them the code? I said, no, honesty would be saying, I don't want to give you the pin code because that's how you honestly feel. Uh, quite often being honest about not wanting to be honest is honesty. You know, say, look, something's come up but i don't want to tell you about it because i'm scared of how you're going to react that is actually the truth you don't have to say the thing that you don't want to put out you say that you don't want to put it out there um so there's always one of the things i wanted to mention was there's honesty and then there's truthfulness which is honesty combined with accuracy uh it's something i'll be talking about a lot in my book that's coming out the naked truth so there's a lot of people who would consider themselves honest, but really they're just judgmental and they're inconsiderate and they just blurt any fucking thing that comes out into their head. And they don't, they don't do any sort of review of its accuracy. They don't check it with reality. They don't see how truthful they're being. 
They just think, hey, if I speak my mind, that's honesty. And in a sense, it is. But what I'd suggest is that the real, the noble goal is truthfulness. When what you say is not only how you truly feel, but what you feel has been, uh, shall we say, influenced by a curious exploration as to what's actually true. Like if I have a judgmental thought pop into my head, first question I've got to ask before I speak that thought is, is the thought true? Because if it's not, and I express it as, as if it is, then I'm essentially now being dishonest. You know, let's say some guy walks past me and he's like this much taller than me and my brain goes, ah, he's too tall. Who am I to say someone's too tall? What is too tall? Who, who gave me the power to decide the right height for human beings? Now, if I was to say he's too tall, I'm now lying because I don't have the right to say that. that I don't have the authority to determine what the right height for something is. Now, if he's about to get onto a roller coaster ride that I'm running that has a height limit and I say you're too tall, that's accurate. But if he's just taller than me and that bums me out, then the real truth is I'm jealous of your height, not you're too tall. And that's going to take a little bit of consideration. And this is why I say it's really an art form. What I'd say is if you're not sure what the right thing is to say, say it anyway. You'll learn. Don't get stuck in overthinking. If, you, if it takes you more than five seconds to think of what to say, just start talking. Get it wrong, and then you'll learn from that. But there is more to honesty than just speaking your mind. You have to also analyze your mind for how accurate it is. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things that I notice is that when it comes to honesty, I think of it as... You know, there's honesty of emotion, honesty of how I feel, and there's honesty of facts and what I think. And those are all separate things. I have not yet found a place where I should hide how I feel. For me, 100% of the time, with anyone, anywhere, I should be 100% honest there. And that's the most important thing. The example you gave with the pin code, that's the first answer. No, I don't feel like giving you my pin code. That doesn't really sound like a smart idea to me. I can't even tell you why. Or the guy walking by who's too tall. All you really know is I feel like he's pretty much too tall. I might be too short, but I feel like he's too tall. That I know. That's a truth. The objective truth is something we rarely ever really fully know. Is he too tall? Well, that depends. You know? Um, and I find that's quite helpful. So when it comes to expressing what's going on for me in the world at this moment to someone I'm standing in front of how I feel is is there's no question as to whether or not that's accurate I can always share that and it is it does wonders in building connection and helping them understand whether we can connect the rest of it we're figuring out together as we go what do we want where are we going with this what's true what are we going to do today what do we like or dislike that's all negotiable and it's part of the process of building a relationship. I love that. But, you know, that is really, you just outlined the, the central thesis for that next book coming out, which is the only thing you can be truly accurate about is your inner experience. It's the only thing you know for sure. Or it's the most sure you can be about anything. Um, so rather than speak about that truth, you've got to speak about your truth. And your language has to reflect that. I feel, I think, I believe, I got the impression, I made an assumption that. These kind of uh, presuppositions, I think they're called, these little like intros to you expressing something. 
uh, serve as a great training tool for identifying how to speak in a way that's always about your own experience. The difference between you're too tall and I judge you as being too tall is astronomical. It's a huge difference. One, I'm saying your, your height is a factual thing of reality and I'm just commenting on it. And then the other, I'm saying I have a view and a perspective and I don't know if it's right or not. It just seems right to me. Now, th- now either way can still cause conflicts, but it it's makes such a big difference for connection. Like you made me angry versus, you know, when you do that, I get myself angry, which is the truth. They don't make you anything. They're not like a brain surgeon in there with probes, like pushing buttons. You, you, your brain made you angry. There's a responsibility to honesty. Whatever I think of the world and however I act is me causing it. I am the prime mover here and I must speak as such, you know? Um, And you can see conflict arising when that doesn't happen. Now, I was just talking to Mike before we started recording, I think. Just one of my videos just blew up with a lot of, uh, shall we say, negative feedback. Not necessarily bad feedback. It's negative. Um, and I realized I'd made the critical mistake in that video where I talked of stuff as fact rather than just making sure I'm putting, like, this is my opinion, I believe. Because I don't know if what I'm saying is fact in that particular video. Um, this is different to say the scientific study clearly suggests that blah, blah, blah. This is just me putting opinion out there as if it's the truth. And I've been caught out on it, and rightly so. But it caused quite a conflict uh, for people. Whereas other videos might still cause conflict. But if I'm saying, look, this is just what I think, I'm happy to be wrong. This is the way I see it. This is my belief based on my experience, my anecdotal evidence, and so on. You can't say, well, he's claiming scientific fact because he's not. He's just calling a thing. Um, The question the guy put through He's, he's sent through other ones before where I think the theme is honesty and respect, like honesty causing conflict and confrontation with people. So understand confrontation is going to stay to a minimum level. If you keep owning the way you put, you, you put out the truth, you keep making sure that you're never putting it on them. You're never stating anything as objective. It's always subjective. I feel like this when I see you do that, not you made me feel or not you're doing that wrong as I judge you as doing that wrong. It makes a big difference. Absolutely. It's all about stating, you know, how I feel and what am I okay with? If you're always clear about that with the people around you, it's very easy for them to negotiate that frame and those boundaries. Whereas if you say, you know, if you're judgmental about them, I don't like that you do that. I don't like that you make me feel this way. That was wrong. You know, that's, that's absolutely incorrect, first of all, and it also puts all the burden on them. You're now calling them out for something that they didn't intend to make you feel that way. Even if they did, they haven't necessarily accepted responsibility for that. The way for you to negotiate that is simply to make it clear where you are and what you want in that situation. And then it's very, very clear whether or not they are gonna respect you. And that's the key, isn't it? The honesty polarizes their reaction. You make your best attempt um, to be, as I call in the book, powerfully honest, to be as accurate and kind of bold and, and responsible as possible with your honesty. If they react really badly to that, you've got an idea of how right you are for each other. Not necessarily a full idea yet. This thing might need to be fleshed out. Most confrontations get worse before they get better. There's always that little hump you've got to get over. 
sometimes people misunderstand each other and get into their little self-pity parties and try to win and stuff forget that they're friends briefly um but yeah i think i i've had some people who get quite academic about this or philosophical and they say well what is the truth really i said rather than going down that rabbit hole just ask yourself am i being dishonest and you'll know the answer this isn't a discussion with somebody else this is just an internal analysis you know when you're holding something back you know when how you represent yourself isn't accurately how you feel you know when you're trying to people please or trying to moderate a situation in your favor as opposed to just putting the truth out there and letting people scrap over it you know when you're doing it you can't lie to yourself at the core level well actually that's not true you can but you don't get away with it for very long <laughs> you know i always say the first lie is that we tell ourselves we're good people we tell ourselves we're honest you know i'd say if nothing else please cancel out that first lie assume i i even do it still to this day assume that not only are you capable of dishonesty you will at some point today be dishonest it's going to slip out you might not even see it happen because you lie to yourself about it before it happens like the way nice guys convince themselves that they don't mind something that bothers them so that they don't have to confront it there'll be this process you'll be like you'll notice the internal lie i think you mentioned that before mike being honest with yourself is actually the hardest part of all of this you'll notice there's this bit where you have a little story in your head as you're trying to take what was originally true and manipulate or mold it so that you can actually put it out there without anything bad happening to you try to convince yourself it's something else so that you can actually talk about it um that's the bit that needs to be intervened with first and foremost the rest being honest with other people is actually simpler than that i think absolutely two great questions today we really appreciate them guys keep them coming i think that about wraps it up for this week absolutely yeah, yeah keep those questions coming in and um we'll try and tackle them at least once a week or once every other week maybe um mike thanks again and uh, we'll see you all next time cheers see you soon <laughs>